Happy Monday. How's it going, everyone? Howdy. Happy Monday. Welcome, Sarah. Thank <laughs> you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, good to have you. Cool. Um, so for people who don't know who you are, do you want to give a quick intro? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I am a general partner at Amplify Partners, uh, which is an early stage venture capital firm. Uh, we do seed and series A investments, uh, but we focus primarily on investing in technical tools and platforms. Uh, so generally speaking, I would kind of like characterize our investments as developer tools, uh, enterprise infrastructure, and uh, then perhaps not shockingly, given the nature of our conversation today, uh, data, NML tools and platforms. Uh, we also do look at some vertical applications of those underlying technologies, whether it's like databases, distributed systems, machine intelligence. I primarily focus on data, NML tools and platforms, uh, largely because that's where my operating experience was. So I, I started my career as a data scientist in the defense and intelligence sector, gradually kind of worked my way into startups, um, and then most recently led the data team at a company called Mattermark that was collecting data on other startups, selling it to investors. So that's that's how I made my way to the dark side. Shout out to Mattermark, by the way. I was a big fan of the research that you guys had back in the day. I would, I would read the report religiously, and um, it, was, it was excellent work, so... I appreciate that. I mean, I, I certainly am kind of like reflecting upon it. Uh, feel really grateful that like I had the opportunity to build a data team at a company that was actually like productizing its data, um, that was selling reports, that uh, was building kind of like an interactive analysis environment for other investors. Uh, in retrospect, like the opportunity to build a data team at a company that was not just using data to uh, kind of inform their product direction, but actually productizing data was like rather different. So. That's really cool. Yeah, and I mean, you know, kind of early on as you got started over at Amplify, I mean, how, how did those experiences influence um, your investment approach? Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, for, for, for some additional context, I actually... I uh, spent like a year, year and a half of generalist investing at a firm called Canvas before I actually joined mm -hmm. Amplify. Um, but even during my tenure at Canvas, I feel like my first set of investment hypotheses or you know, the markets uh, in which I was seeking to make investments were largely informed by my own experiences. Um, now, in thinking about it, I feel like there were some things that I was looking for that would have been like too early to market back then. So, for example, one of the kind of acute pain points that we had faced uh, during my tenure at Mattermark was associated with monitoring our um, ML models, or, or I guess to, to be more faithful, monitoring our ML pipelines. Uh, we would see, for example, like, uh, trends related to some of our classification models. And it was difficult to know, like, is the model performing erratically? Is the world just weird? Uh, is there an issue with our pipelines? Um, so I, I, upon entering investing, started to, to look a little bit more at categories like this. Of course, I think what I found out was that, like, not that many companies were actually uh, deploying models in, in production environments. And so like there wasn't really an acute market need. Um, but that's just kind of an example of a pain point that you know, I felt myself um, where like as an investor, I sought to uh, find solutions that would address that problem for a broader set of practitioners. Interesting. Do, do you feel like you were able to get into the data investing space fairly early? I, I, maybe that's not entirely fair because there was a whole wave of investment around the big data movement in Hadoop. Mm -hmm. And then it seems like maybe there was a slight winter and then there was this new wave of startups which have become associated with the modern data stack, which, of course, is part of the topic of our show. But were you able to jump on that like next wave early based on your experience? That's a great question. So, so you know, oftentimes, like data practitioners who, who are interested in venture will reach out to me. And one of the questions that they, they sometimes ask is like, how do you actually leverage your data experience as an investor? Um, now, I think like perhaps like 
many people who are transitioning from data into investing, like uh, the first instinct is to actually apply like data scientific methods to find new investments. And I think that is more of what I did during my time at Canvas. So it wasn't actually applying my data background to invest in data and ML tools and platforms, but rather you know, trying to collect signals on uh, uh, early stage and, and kind of like growth stage startups um, to detect you know, the best investments. Um, I think what I realized over the course of my experience in, in venture is that like those signals are incredibly noisy. Um, there are strong incentives not to share information as a startup. And what's more, a lot of the information kind of experiences like a pretty strong lag. So for example, with like uh, reports about funding, like those are usually somewhere between like three months to a year late uh, relative to like when the deal actually closes. Um, so, so I think like I realized after, after like immersing myself more in venture that like a data scientific approach, particularly to early stage investing, um, uh, was problematic. Um, but then started kind of like shifting my focus to like, how can I actually use my experience, like use my network, uh, use my empathy for, you know, people who have the role that I had uh, previously to, to find like new tools for, for data practitioners. Um, in some ways, I actually think I was a little bit late to like the phenomena around the modern data stack. And I think uh, sometimes it can actually be tough to invest in the categories that you know best because you have such strong biases uh, due to your past experiences. Um, for example, like it took me a while to get DBT. I saw it and I was like, okay, so this is just a tool to create tables and materialized views. Like what, what's so important about that? Um, but I think, you know, as I started to spend more time with people and learn how they were using tools like DBT, learn how they were using, you know, their, their data warehouse, uh, my, my experience informed my empathy. My experience enabled me to have kind of like richer, more complex conversations with, uh, you know, former colleagues, with uh, new new friends, um, and that ended up, you know, shaping uh, my investing strategy. Even though, uh, you know, early on, I was probably more cynical than most. That's really interesting because when I, when I think of um, your investments, um, you know, DBT comes to mind as, as one of the uh, you know, kind of the poster children, uh, not only of, of Amplify's portfolio, but also the modern data stack. And so uh, what, but th that's interesting. I, I didn't know this, that you, you sort of had a, um, you know, a bias uh, and it was, it was a bit of, um, it was a bit of a mental switch for you for DBT. Like what, what caused that uh, switch to flip where you're like, okay, I get it. I can throw some money at this. Yeah. You know, I think like early on, like I was looking at a lot of things like as a set of technologies rather than as a kind of foundation upon which you could build a set of practices. Um, it, to me, like what's most important about DBT is not the fact that it enables you to create tables and materialized views, but rather uh, kind of the culture around analytics engineering and uh, establishing a tool for core data modeling. So if you think about uh, core data modeling as being kind of essential to various analytics, data science workflows, and DBT as the tool that unlocks uh, kind of rigorous practice, brings software engineering practices to uh, uh, core data modeling, then I think, you know, you can really see why it's such an important company. But if you're thinking about it just purely from like a technological view of like, you know, Jinja templating engine allows you to like create tables and materialized views, then I think you kind of, you lose the plot. So I guess to, to kind of answer your question, it was more thinking about like, the modern data stack in terms of uh, uh, the practices, the culture that it enables rather than like purely from a technical standpoint, um, thinking about like, uh, you know, leveraging like the latest research or, or uh, establishing kind of competitive modes through technical defensibility and things like that.
interesting. Well, it seems to me that one of the big challenges in moving into investing would be the fact that you, as you were saying, there just aren't a lot of signals in data early on. And a lot of it does come down to the people you're involved with. So you've used the word empathy, culture. You've talked about conversations, about how people are using tools. Um, obviously, it sounds like you were managing teams before. And so some of those human elements were there. But, but how was it to learn like how to interact with founders and with early teams and to learn who was going to be a good team who could build a good product for you? How did you go about that process when you got into investing? Yeah, yeah, great question. I think like, like so many people, when I first transitioned into investing, like my goal was really to like find deals. And so I think, again, this kind of led me to like, let me find the most interesting set of technologies. Let me, you know, mine the research domain for people who are pushing the limits of databases, who have the new uh, ML model architectures and, and things like that. Um, over the course of my investing career, I think like what I've realized is that it's much better to like put yourself in the path of interesting people. So I'll go into a conversation uh, you know, with someone not knowing like if they have like founder ambitions or um, if they'd like to join a startup or uh, really with like any clear intention or, or goal. Um, Instead, you know, I've learned to go into those conversations just wanting to have a good conversation on, you know, a topic of interest. Um, and I find, again, that by just kind of putting, putting myself in the path of people, ideas, projects, trends that are interesting, I am seeing kind of more compelling investments than I would if I was like just focused on like finding, you know, quote unquote, like innovative technologies. Mm, so you don't pay attention to like the hype cycle and see where the categories are and they go to hype cycle and all that kind of stuff. Or, or I mean, I, I, guess do. I do. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, I, I, I absolutely do. But I think like um, rather than like trying to find like the companies that are at the top of the hype cycle, like instead, I think yeah. like what I'm doing is, is spending a lot of time talking to like practitioners, talking to people who are building their stacks, uh, talking to people who are building their own internal tools and platforms rather than, you know, buying uh, certain um, solutions from, from vendors. And it's those yeah. conversations that kind of like help me dissect like what is hype and, you know, what is reality. Sure. I mean, that's how we met actually uh, a couple of years ago in Utah when you were living out here. You was like, do you want to get lunch and just have a chat? I'm like, sure. So and that's that's how we met. And I, I, I thought that approach was, um, I mean, it was just cool. Like, it was a good conversation and, you know, and and here we are today. Right. So, so, so yeah. it's cool because you never know what you, who you're going to, who you're going to run into and who they might know as well. And so it, it, I, I kind of find out that the data world is just incredibly small. Uh, and so a lot of people know each other and, um, not only that, but a lot of people talk about ideas, uh, you know, Slack communities that definitely spawned up around COVID and, um, but more interestingly, I, I find just everyone's talking to each other. I think more so than they probably did before just cause, um, it's a lot easier to nowadays. So, which means just a lot of ideas come about. And I guess one of the ideas we're going to talk about is, uh, the modern data stack and potentially moving on from it. Um, I, I think this is, it's a conversation that Matt and I have had. Uh, I think when we talked about the topic for, um, the chat, Sarah, it was, um, uh, I thought that was awesome. So let's, let's dig into this. Uh, what's, um, why are we moving on from the modern data stack or, so, so, I mean, I think like it's an open question. Are we moving on modern data stack? Um, I'd actually make the argument that I think like a lot of teams are kind of like settling into the modern data stack, but upon settling into the tools uh, and platforms that they have, I think like the next step will be to move on. Um, uh, so, so, so instead, maybe I'll answer the question like, why should we move on from, from the modern data stack? Um, maybe, maybe just to like level set for a second too. Like when I think about the modern data stack, I'm generally kind of describing the uh, tools, platforms, principles, uh, wherein you know people move data into a data warehouse, typically through an ELT uh, tool or process. Uh, they transform data within the data warehouse into a set of core data models. Uh, perhaps they'll use some sort of metric solution to enable like you know, fast 
uh, slice and dice within a uh, interactive data environment um, or BI platform. Uh, so uh, your typical kind of like Snowflake 5 Tran uh, hex, maybe you have you know, a data activation platform like High Touch in there too. Um, and I think like all of those tools and those practices are actually incredibly valuable. I, I, I think like the modern data stack enables data teams to build uh, like great kind of executive dashboards um, and reporting applications. So, so I think like the, the, the modern data stack is actually very well suited to uh, kind of like BI executive reporting um, and really like a lot of the foundational capabilities that a data team ought to be able to provide uh, before moving on to uh, kind of uh, more complex like predictive analysis, machine learning, experimentation, and so on and so forth. Um, so, so like, I do believe in the modern data stack as a great set of tools that unlock, again, those, those BI reporting descriptive analytics use cases. Um, I think where we've tricked ourselves is, is kind of in, in two respects. Uh, the first is that like this modern data stack is actually well suited uh, to the development of interactive applications. Um, the set of tools that I described, like they were not purpose built uh, for building like rich interactive applications. Uh, they were not designed to support thousands or you know millions of concurrent users. Uh, they were not designed to kind of like enable uh, the development of like more complex interfaces um, or uh, to support certain update patterns. So, so I think we are tricking ourselves and thinking that you know the data warehouse and the modern data stack can actually like support. Uh, the development of like quote unquote data products uh, beyond you know the use cases that I was describing before. I think the other thing that you know, perhaps data teams are like deluding themselves into believing is that like there is this perfect representation of data that exists, and if you just uh, you know complete you know a certain set of like transformations, um, you can establish you know this either. A set of tables or a collection of metrics that will unlock any use case that will enable any person within the business to answer any question. Um, and so I think like perhaps to, to put that point uh, more concisely, we've become a little bit too obsessed with data modeling um, and thinking about again, this perfect representation of the business rather than acknowledging that uh, they're kind of like good enough data models that can support like a large set of questions, but not like an exhaustive set of questions. And uh, these uh, kind of crude, imperfect, but like good enough data models are probably good enough. Um, so, so it's really those two things that that I think like will require us to move beyond the, the modern data stack. It's, it's uh, thinking beyond data modeling and it is uh, developing you know, uh, richer interactive data applications, including those that, that can be used uh, by external users. And so it sounds to me like the general theme here is that you're talking about a product-oriented approach to data and specifically not just an internal product where my customer is the CEO and maybe the C-suite and some, some VPs, but actually an external-facing product where it's built into my SaaS platform and all of my customers can use it, thousands or potentially millions of customers, and that this is informing the way that you're thinking about modeling. So instead of building a general purpose model, build a model to focus on a product, but, but make it general enough so it's not super, super rigid. Am I interpreting that correctly? You nailed it. I mean, I think it is perhaps like even broader than that. Um, so, so like certainly I think like if you have like an external user, uh, a customer facing application, there, there, there's kind of going to be a set of product requirements that go in hand, in hand with that. 
But I think even in moving again beyond the, these kind of executive dashboards, BI reporting use cases, uh, a phrase that you know, a colleague used uh, that I'd like to see more, not to coin you know, another term uh, in the modern data stack ecosystem is goal-driven analysis. So, so in both contexts, I think you know, it's the idea that like our goals or a set of like product requirements or a set of, of uh, insights that need to be delivered in order to make a decision, like that is prioritized. And you know, the modern data stack, et cetera, is, is a means to that end. Uh, I think we've just become a little bit too obsessed with like the means and have lost sight of the ends. Trying to mute here. That's an interesting observation. I, I think um, I don't know. It, it's different than what I've seen with data modeling, for example. Where I, I think like the data modeling that I've seen with uh, modern data stack users has been almost an absence of modeling in some sense, which I guess you can argue is also a model. It's just a kind of a crappy one. Um, so what's what's really interesting was, um, and, it, and it could be a feature, it could be a bug. But for example, at uh, Coalesce, um, you know, I knew some guys giving a uh, talk there on data modeling. And some friends of mine are actually saying in the back of that uh, talk, watching people type in, what is data modeling? I guess 80% of the room didn't know uh, basic data modeling techniques and, and barely anyone knew Kimball, for example. So that was pretty mm. shocking because it's at a, a transformation conference, a data transformation conference in analytics engineering. And back in my day, um, like Kimball was like kind of the thing you would be doing. Um, so it's, it's interesting in some sense, because I think the uh, argument is for, oh, just make like one big table that has everything. Um, and, and it seems like a lot of the formal techniques, um, at least in this sample size, but I think anecdotally, Matt and I have seen the same things where um, the modern crop of analytics engineers, the, the old school techniques of data modeling um, may not actually be known, which I think is very interesting as well. So, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's fascinating. And I think like it also kind of points to the fact uh, that as you were saying before, like uh, a lot of the, the kind of like communities around like the modern data stack are also becoming increasingly clickish. So, so I think, you know, it's also highly likely that like many of the people with whom I engage um, and some of the people who are like driving these conversations about uh, these tools and platforms uh, may have like more experience with, with uh, data modeling. Um, it's almost like an interesting manifestation of Conway's law that uh, you have like this culture of analytics engineering yeah. that may be emerging around like a set of people who know how to use that tool best. For sure. It's funny you mentioned that. I'm actually in the middle of writing a book on data modeling right now. And, and it's, it's funny you mentioned Conway's law because this is going to be a central theme in the book and I'm debating whether or not it's going to be like data product modeling or something like that. But it, it's, it, it's the attempt to, I guess, introduce some sort of, um, I guess, process um, well, just being good enough. I think there's a trade-off, right? Where it's, it's um, on one hand, you, it's fast versus formal is kind of how I look at stuff. Formal being yeah. you're going to spend pretty much your entire uh, career just modeling data, which never sees the light of day is, is from what I've seen. And fast meaning uh, we'll just make a query that'll answer the question that this person's asking. And then you keep repeating that over and over and over again for I don't know how many permutations of that question. And um, yeah, you kind of get the opposite result, which is just... Uh, kind of um, query sprawl and so you know but but the thing is what Matt and I have noticed is that the modern data stack doesn't really I mean there's I, it, it's interesting I, I I love the way you frame this where it's it, it's a, a focus on um I think a lot of the technologies for example as far as I could tell that you're saying but it's but the, the practices um, I think still need to be consolidated to some degree or um agreed upon but as you say it's very clickish and um Conway's law is in effect so you kind of get the result of that which is I think extreme um, fragmentation in, in some ways of, of processes and uh, practices and so forth. But I love your take because you mean yeah. we, we talked to a lot of different people, so I don't know that we have an answer. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I think like so. This is this is part of the reason why I say like today, like we're we're kind of like settling into the the modern data stack. I mean, I'd I'd love to hear kind of like your point of view, but like. I think you could argue that like DBT is 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 you know a tool that is that is uh, well suited like at a minimum like good enough to implement yeah. uh, dimensional data modeling so so to like implement like sound data modeling practice but now you know the people who have the tool need to like learn the the uh, methodology um, 
I wonder if like what we're seeing is a little bit of like kind of like polarization where like some people are not implementing, you know, best practice in terms of, of uh, you know, Kimball, et cetera. Um, and then there are others that are at kind of the extreme of, of we're just going to like keep uh, iterating on our data models until we have, you know, the, this like perfect representation of the data. And I think like there's somewhere in the middle that is ideal where your core data models, as I was saying, can, can help people answer kind of basic, recurring, easily anticipated questions. Um, but, you know, beyond that, you accept that like uh, some ad hoc analysis needs to be quick and dirty and, and you may not need, you know, a, a, uh, a data model to like answer a question about, uh, you know, some trends that just needs to be like directionally correct. Right. Um, mm -hmm. so, so I think like on both sides, we need to like learn what good looks like, not what perfect looks like. Yeah, exactly. Well, the thing too, you bring up, uh, you know, kind of, uh, data rich applications, for example, right. Interactive apps, which I'm, I'm assuming has some sort of a, um, you know, a real time element to it, um, mm -hmm. or at least a faster element than just once a day batch or whatever. Um, and it's interesting when you look at modeling techniques in, in that case, too, and we'll turn to the discussion of data modeling, but just to bring a point, uh, there really aren't that many, <laughs> I, I, I'd see, that are widely used. There's Data Vault, which um, I think is gaining popularity, but I, I don't, at the same time, it seems like it, it might be a lot more effort than I would see a lot of uh, teams wanting to invest in, in that practice. And so, um, you know, I'm interested to see what happens from a formal practice in terms of interactive uh, data modeling, for example, because it seems like it's a much different beast um, than you know, kind of the, the way we've done things before. So, Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think like I also have questions around like who will be building the, these uh, like user facing data applications in the future. When I've talked to a lot of people about like how uh, their uh, external facing data applications were, were developed, like for the most part, it, it is, it is uh, like product engineers that are, that are building mm -hmm. those data applications. And so like in, in kind of exploring this ecosystem, you know, one of the questions that I've had is, is uh, will we find tools that make, you know, data modeling that, that make uh, building kind of like rich analytical uh, applications easier for product engineers? Um, or, you know, will we have tools that enable uh, data practitioners uh, to kind of like adapt uh, to the user-facing product setting? That's a very interesting question. And I, I, from my perspective, part of the issue here is organizational, where maybe it needs to be both and we need to tear down some traditional walls that have existed between, you know, like back-end systems teams building the interactive product working with transactional databases and the, the other side of the wall, which is the analytics side, right? And that's that's a consistent theme we see all the time, communications across that wall. The failures of communication specifically cause all kinds of problems. Yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. But I think like th those walls are, are, you know, pretty sturdy. <laughs> they seem to be, they're still here. The one that, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it, it, like one of the things that was eye-opening for me, so, so in, in now, Navigating uh, this question, you know, I, I started to talk to like more and more like uh, product engineers about like how they work with data, um, and I was I was like really surprised uh, by just how many developers uh, either uh, don't use or like don't want to use SQL. Um, so, so, you know, I think like in, in thinking about these walls, like one seems to be like very clearly like a language barrier, uh, you know, SQL is undoubtedly like the lingua franca of analytics engineers, uh, perhaps, you know, Python, like, you know, helps like nudge, like other data practitioners, like, uh, into a, uh, kind of language setting that, that aligns a little bit more with product engineers. Um, but when you have, you know, like SQL, and uh, JavaScript, uh, those things are, are <laughs> not that, that easy to, to integrate. And I think certainly almost impose like different mental models in thinking about data and thinking about applications and, and oh, yeah. how those, those things intersect. 
Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's one of the things I've been um, researching a ton and writing about and, and also having done it before, too, as a, um, a mm-hmm. back-end engineer. Um, you think in terms of if you're using like an ORM, for example, an object relational mapper to, to write your application. Um, this is the other this is the other crux on the I, I see, too, where application is actually um, it, it's because it, it sits upstream from data systems um, and ORMs can be pretty much any amount of liberty to write data models. Um, these data models are often very, I would say, interesting. They're not third normal form, for example. They're like probably maybe one normal form, uh, maybe half normal form. But the whole problem is that this has downstream effects, right? Mm-hmm. Now you have duplicate data, for example. Now you have all the all the uh, all the weird stuff that gets introduced upstream. Uh, your, your analytics engineers, your data engineers, get to deal with down there. And so, but again, uh, I even find data modeling techniques and with application developers is sorely uh, lacking. Like it's, they may be familiar with normal forms, but it's not like it's uh, the code I've seen is rarely enforced. It's not like people sit there with an ERD and map out what the data model is going to look like. It's like, Oh, I just need to add another field to this, uh, this model. I'll just add it in real quick, push it up. And, and it works. It usually works pretty well, you know, and that's, that's, that's just it. It's, it's good enough. Right. And until your database scales to a big size and then you have problems. So, but you know, it, but at the end of the day too, what I do notice is a lot of this activity, it, it's, it's more common at startups, for example, or smaller companies where the name of the game is moving fast. Like I don't have time to sit here and, you know, spend five months working on a, a nice ERD diagram for my app and build that. It's like not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah but what, what well, are, some, what like are some in, other... in... Oh, go on. Well, I was just going to say, I think like in part, like for, for the, 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 those reasons, like we actually see like an absence of, of, uh, kind of like richer data applications that are available to consumers. Like it's funny because either we're at the end of the year, which means that like, you know, Spotify like does their like end of the year user insights thing. And people go crazy over that. Like if you think about like what that data is, like it is basically like a simpler experience than like most executive dashboards that exist today. Um, uh, but things like that, I think are like shockingly difficult to, to build. Um, uh, in part, because I think, you know, we, we have like this isolation of, of kind of like the full stack engineering expertise and the, mm-hmm. the data expertise, um, which, you know, gets entrenched by kind of like the lack of tools for, uh, product engineers to, uh, work with data in more complex ways and, and, uh, for data practitioners to, uh, build, uh, user-facing products that are that are able to kind of like uh, stand up to the you know, demands of web-scale companies and their users. So, so we, we talked about, uh, you know, interactive applications. Where, where else do you think things are, are moving, um, uh, you know, either alongside or, or, I guess, leaping off from the modern data stack? Yeah, I, I, I love that question because I think like, one of the things that sometimes dismays me in the vein of this goal-driven analysis is that like we don't have as much conversation or at least like open conversation about like what can be done with data, like what, what you can build. Um, uh, certainly, I think like one area that, that you know, I've been excited about like for a while is experimentation. I think, you know, certainly like uh, given uh, the like challenging market conditions, uh, experimentation is absolutely critical um, to enabling companies to, to really understand like the ROI associated with their product bets so that, you know, they can continue to like make advances. They're, they're, they're not stagnating, um, uh, but they can you know, get smarter about uh, how, they're, how they're spending money. Um, I also just love experimentation because I think like it, it kind of like clearly unifies like data and decisions. Uh, this notion that like you're going to define an experiment um, uh, based on a decision that you want to make, I think is, is kind of like an elegant manifestation of that idea of goal-driven analysis in certain ways. Um, but there, there's kind of a whole range of things from like uh, better like pricing analysis um, uh, to you know better product analytics that I think you know is possible 
um, we just need to like lift our heads up and think about like uh, the biggest opportunities to like actually make an impact um, uh, and think more clearly about you know, the decisions that need to be made, the strategic goals of a company and kind of like lining up the data practice and platform uh, behind that. Um, of course, you know, the, the other uh, kind of obvious answer to that question is that like, uh, there is a lot of excitement around like MLAI use cases today. Um, there's somewhat of like a mismatch in that I think that like a lot of the the models and model APIs that are that are kind of like fueling this this new hype cycle um, are probably best suited for unstructured data versus you know like your your core data models. Um, but I think you know that that could change. And what feels different compared to like 2017, 2018, the last time we saw kind of this this uh, burgeoning interest in in MLAI is that like the 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 new APIs like they they, they really do kind of like lower the barrier uh, to entry of like experimenting uh, with with machine learning. Uh, you really don't need at least to, to like you know prototype something like see how it might impact like your users etc you really don't need uh ml researchers or engineers anymore um uh, so i'm excited to see how that kind of continues to to evolve anything in particular in uh, ml or ai that, that uh, excites you right now um apart from uh the uh, chatbots and, and whatnot or their um I guess you know, I get your newsletter, for example, which is awesome, and you read a lot of papers. Um, have there been any papers in uh, MLRAI recently um, that's come about? Here's holy crap, that's that's amazing. So, I mean, the, the the results that like people are getting with these these pre-trained models, particularly like mm -hmm. with an approach called instruction tuning, it like it really is incredible. Like if you if you if you like interact with Chat GPT, I think like it doesn't take like much time to be like, okay, fine, this is this is a breakthrough. Like there 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 there's there's something to the hype. Um, I do still think though, you know, as I mentioned earlier, like there there's a bit of a mismatch between uh, the data types that organizations are most accustomed to working mm -hmm. with, including like uh, the data types that they actually have and and have access to. Um, which you know have have largely been like uh, tabular and time series data and the data types uh, for which these models are best suited. Um, I, I I actually have seen though a couple of attempts to to like use these uh, language models on structured data or to like integrate structured data into the the like LLM capabilities, um, which seems somewhat promising there, there there also have been some efforts to actually like um automate some aspects of like either data preparation data cleaning etc which which are also uh pretty pretty interesting yeah for sure it's interesting too i, I talked with bill inman quite a bit he uh, came up with the data warehouse and the, for structured data but i think even like 10 plus years ago or something like that he, he decided to focus on uh, unstructured data in text, he's like, that's most of the data in a corporation. That's actually not the structured data. Um, mm -hmm. I'm actually going to go hang out with him tomorrow. He's going to show me some uh, cool techniques with uh, unstructured data modeling. But I thought that was interesting to bring that up because I, I was thinking a lot about this too with these um, large language models and how it might um, be brought into a, an enterprise, for example, right? I think there's, um, it seems like there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of potential, obviously, because a lot of the power of these data sets is a private. Right, yeah. uh, internal to a corporation. So, if you could find some sort of an insight from those that you wouldn't necessarily glean from the traditional ways of doing structured data modeling, I think that could open up a whole new world of possibilities. Um, plus, audio and video and everything else under the sun too. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I also think like in in that vein, like there 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 are kind of like exciting possibilities to to unify and structured and structured data. Mm -hmm. um, oh yeah. Uh, when Coalesce, the the DBT conference happened. Um, uh, usertesting.com actually had like their own conference, uh, a floor below uh, Coalesce. Um, and I remember thinking to myself, like, this is so interesting. You 
certainly at like both conferences, like have a set of people who are interested in better understanding how people are using their product today and leveraging those insights to inform the product direction. But so rarely do we think about kind of like combining like qualitative data that might be gleaned through things like user interviews uh, with you know more quantitative data that is often like gleaned by like uh, using like you know, metrics events, et cetera. Um, so it's, it's an area that I think like doesn't often like get that much attention, but like in my point of view, like data teams ought to be like pretty good at like working with like qualitative data too, like mm. survey data, uh, videos of, of, uh, user sessions and, and things like that. Um, and I definitely don't see that today. Wait, so did you skip out on the, uh, coalescence? you go to the user, uh, uh, conference downstairs or I I mean I should have but I felt like I would have been like a little <laughs> bit of a traitor since one of my portfolio companies yeah. competes yep, with, right. with user testing <laughs> That's not their product is much better obligation yeah. like a fake mustache yeah. on there or something yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah seriously I, yeah I, I have to say I'm, I'm excited I mean I think it's still early with these models right we're doing really exciting stuff it's still early we're going to see a lot more improvement and a lot more problems solved but I'm excited to see things like using chat these models to generate SQL, for example. So where we're actually combining traditional techniques, but we're maybe asking questions and saying, write a query to do this, right? There's been quite a bit of interest in automated code generation, for example, or at least code checking using models like this. Um, on, on Twitter, you actually tweeted about uh, specifically OpenAI and both the potential and limitations. And I, I think, what, what are your thoughts on, we've, we've talked a bit about the potential. What are you seeing in terms of the limitations that maybe are being overlooked in the current hype cycle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, I think like in terms of the uh, potential and limitations, um, a lot of this actually comes down to like understanding like how good the models are today um, versus uh, how reliable we need things to be in order to, to kind of like productize them. Um, if you can go from, you know, like 70% precision and recall to like 90% precision and recall um, with a model, like that is, that is huge. It is, it is a dramatic improvement, um, but it's also like not good enough for many use cases. And I think you see this pretty clearly with like, you know, chat GPT, like if, if something gives you a wrong answer, even like one in 20 times, like, that's probably not good enough to like use in your like professional, possibly even like aspects of, of your personal life. Um, what I think is interesting though, is thinking about like uh, these like human machine loops and like how we can, how we can almost use uh, these models as, as kind of like AI assistance. Um, you see this very much with like things like Copilot, like probably not good enough to like not review your code. Um, forget probably, like definitely not good enough to like not review your code. Like you're not just going to say like, I'm going to build an app and like Copilot is going to automatically like debug it um, or, you know, automatically uh, perform like performance analysis and and implement, you know, the, these like performance improvements. Um, but it's good enough to like accelerate your own workflow. And I think like finding the, these use cases where like it's good enough um, to accelerate your workflow is, is uh, pretty exciting. Um, and there's like, there's a lot of potential in that. There's a lot of potential in something that is, you know, a like 90% automated solution with 10% like additional human effort, even if that 10% ends up becoming kind of more like 20% uh, given some of the dynamics of working with these models. Sure. It, it reminds me, um, when I was a kid, the uh, web browser came out. I was actually an early beta tester for uh, Mosaic way back in the day. And uh, the, the effects of this actually reminds me a lot of the impact of what these uh, language models are going to have. Um, in the sense where it just brings the information forward in ways that, I mean, because back in the day, I was a dorky kid on Usenet and stuff like that. And now it's like, now all of a sudden I have 
web pages and all this, um, you know, data becomes more interconnected. And I think in much the same way, these chat models are just going to bring about a, just a new way of um, uh, just interacting with data and with other people. The interesting thing is I had a post the other day on LinkedIn, right? I, you're definitely going to, I, I fear you're going to see basically the same as like SEO spam happening with these models. And so, uh, mm-hmm. you know, people are going to definitely try and game the, uh, the results. So that, that's going to be very fascinating to watch. And the governance around that is what I'm actually very interested in. I'm seeing there's, there's, uh, yeah. Lord knows what's going to show up in yeah. these things. <laughs> yeah. Well, you already have problems going to back what, back to what you were saying, Sarah, about um, needing to check your work. P- supposedly people are uploading, you know, automating stack overflow answers using chat GPT, which generates some answer, good answers and some garbage and some stuff that's in between. And there's, but they all look great on the surface, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is reminding me too. So, so like when I look at like the modern data stack as like an investor today, I feel like there, 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 there's like very little white space that remains in terms of like things for which there is not a tool that is like good enough. Uh, that's not to say that like, you know, you can't like build a better data warehouse. I think like there are opportunities to like leverage compute more efficiently and so on and so forth. But like one of the areas where I think there is still probably white space has been like, instrumentation and event collection. Mm. Uh, you know, I think we can be like far more intentional about like what data we are collecting, including to enable this paradigm of goal-driven analysis. Um, but I've been thinking a lot about this too in the context of these language models, because like they rely so heavily on like user feedback, but like what does instrumentation for a, uh, you know, LM driven application look like, like, do we, do we need uh, to approach uh, like events and metrics and, and logs differently to like somehow, uh, Mm. you know, collect additional signal that might reveal whether or not something was like machine generated or not. Like, um, do we even need to like structure the data at all? Uh, I think like both for like traditional applications and for these ML driven applications, like uh, we will and probably like need to see new approaches to to uh, collecting behavioral data. Yeah, I agree. That's 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 really interesting. I think Matt and I are going to go ponder that one for a bit. There's um, what's interesting too is that there's going to be a feedback loop. Uh, between yeah. the actions taken on on these uh, models, for example, and then uh, uh, the data you might be collecting back, and so this this would be very interesting. Gosh, it, uh, the ability to game stuff is going to be pretty crazy. Um, hmm. Well, what I'll add uh, to what you were saying, Sarah, about the um, white space is I think where a lot of the white space is right now is like synthesizing these different techniques. So, for example, take a database, mm-hmm. but then put a chatbot driven front end on it, and then another interpretation layer that maybe can give you uh, a text interpretation of the, the result that comes back and also maybe build a dashboard for you or something. I don't know. Like, it seems like there are yeah. tons and tons of opportunities, which is sort of what Joe's getting at as well, right? Like <laughs> combining different tools, people are going to find all kinds of new, interesting ways to hack and it's going to get crazy. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think like, it's funny, there, there, there have been some conversations about like language models displacing databases. And I think like those are a little bit silly because like a database is not just a like query engine, like there, there are a set right. of like transaction guarantees, et cetera, that like many databases like afford um, that actually enable us to like build products like relatively sanely. So, so I don't think that like, LMs are going to replace databases anytime soon, but like being able to connect like a language model with a database, um, I think can be like incredibly powerful. Um, Being able to uh, kind of like route queries to determine like, can this be most effectively answered uh, through a language model, through a programming language, through a database, I think like the, these kind of uh, integrated approaches will will allow us to kind of like uh, bend the limits of, uh, of you know what language models can and cannot do, um, but they may also require us to to kind of like develop as I was saying before like new approaches to instrumentation, new approaches to uh, tracing, um, and and so on. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, kind of switching gears a bit, uh, I think um, in our um, in our chat before the, the show, uh, databases is also something on your mind. Uh, um, I also noticed that there was a uh, you know an investment in the Mother Doc, which is uh, I think getting a lot of um, capturing the public's imagination right now. Uh, walk me through this. What's what's on your mind with, with databases, and specifically, I'd like to know um, your, your thesis around uh, Mother Doc. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So. I- in some ways, I feel like databases is like one of the easiest categories to invest in um, because they, if they're good, they always make money. <laughs> that, 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 that's an exaggeration, but like time has kind of like borne out that like people will buy a faster, cheaper database, um, particularly if it's, you know, 10x faster, 10x cheaper, um, and like can also like reduce uh, management overhead. Um, uh, time has also borne out that like with advances in technologies, it is typically possible to create a 10x faster, 10x cheaper database. Um, So I feel like uh, databases is almost like an eternal investment thesis. Like there will always be better databases. (laughs) Um, The question becomes like what actually unlocks these, these better databases. And I think like uh, part of our hypothesis with with Mother Duck uh, really kind of hinged upon two ideas. One is that um, data warehousing just like one step in the direction of you know full separation of compute and storage. Um, perhaps like the next step is not just separation of compute and storage, but separation of compute and compute and storage and storage. Uh, which is to say that like compute exists in different surface areas. And if we leverage that compute more effectively, uh, we can perhaps build 10x faster, 10x cheaper databases. Um, I think the other insight there, and this actually relates to some of our conversations about core data modeling and goal-driven analysis is, is really that like a lot of databases that exist today um, they were designed for big data, um, but big data may not actually be what we need. If you think about like these practices of, of you know, core data modeling, if you think about like some of the needs around like tricks, um, and if you think about like the idea of goal-driven analysis, like all of these are actually ways to filter down big data. Um, and so I think, you know, a core insight of uh, the kind of mother dog team is about like the need for uh, data systems that enable fast, easy access to small data or like moderately, rightly sized data uh, you know, versus like platforms that can query, you know, a petabyte of data in a couple of milliseconds. Like how often do you actually really need to, or how often should you be querying a petabyte of data? I, I think what excites me as well is the notion of hybridization. And we saw this with the internet. So um, there, there's kind of been this pendulum swinging in computing, which you alluded to separation, compute and storage and such, but more, I, I'm more thinking of like centralization versus decentralization. Mm-hmm. So if you go way, way back, they had timeshare computers and then you had the PC and people had their own computers. And then with uh, phone apps and JavaScript apps, all of a sudden you had this hybrid where a lot of computing could happen remotely and a lot of computing could happen locally. And so I, I think what I'd like to see eventually with mother, mother Duck is a hybridization of like big data where the big data stuff can happen remotely yep. and the small data stuff can happen super fast on the edge. And we're already seeing that. I mean, it's incredible what they're doing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think like uh, hybrid query execution is is kind of like a step in, in that direction and an important one. We're also seeing like a lot of like interesting projects in, in data visualization that, that uh, kind of enable this paradigm of like more effectively leveraging like the client and server, um, uh, given the uh, you know chart or or uh, database that you want to produce, um, and I think we will see more of that uh, in the future. Um, this is probably like one of those areas where where uh, you know hybrid query execution, better leveraging compute where it exists, like still a little bit researchy, um, and. Uh, I do think that like it's an area where like research progress 
will enable even better paradigms in, in the next five to 10 years. Yeah, it's super cool. Interesting to see what happens too. Uh, yeah, I remember because Jordan was on our show uh, talking about Mother Duck, and I think we just had him on the show because I was like, I'm intrigued by the name. Um, just tell me more. And it's like, <laughs> he describes it, and we're, just, we're sitting there like, huh, that's that's really fascinating. So you, basically, it's, it's. Uh, I, I kind of joked to myself, it was sort of like a Microsoft Access. He's like a, a, a you know, um, sort of a, a new day, but it, it, it's not not that way, of course. But um, but it, <laughs> the, the, the local angle is very fascinating uh, in that regard. So and it took a second for it to click. It wasn't like it was immediate. Right? Really? Oh, did. yeah. This made yeah. a lot of sense, right? But I think it was uh, Bailey Hayes who was at a single store. She had a demo at my meetup. Uh, she's showing off a, a Wassum uh, being able to play like a mm -hmm. real-time video game. Um, I was like, okay, that's cool. Like that's probably one of the coolest demos I've ever seen. So... Yeah, and it's, it's fascinating too because the questions comes up all the time. Like, okay, so why would I need a, a small database on my computer? Why can't I just do a BigQuery? But you know, as Jordan said, it's it's not so much um, big data; it's, it's much like easy data, right? He called it easy query mm -hmm. at Google. So, yeah, that's interesting. And any other database technologies exciting you right now? Yeah, you know, I I I, I do still see like a lot of potential in the HTAP paradigm. As I mentioned before, mm -hmm. I feel like like a lot of like data warehouses that exist today. Um, they weren't designed to support like the development of, of you know, web applications. They, mm -mm. It's, it's not kind of in their foundations. Um, uh, now, an open question for me is like with you know, improvements in, in things like real-time CDC, where like you can easily like sync your um, uh, transactional database and, and you know, OLAP database, like uh, do we need kind of the hybrid model um, but certainly I think, you know, at scale, like, uh, managing the, those types of like connections, uh, starts to impose, you know, more and more of a burden. Um, and I think it's interesting to think about like, how can we make it easy to operationalize mm -hmm. data, analytical data, um, including through the HTAP paradigm. Um, I'm also seeing kind of this, this need to, to, uh, be able to like, uh, operationalized transformed data for uh, like web application purposes uh, manifest um, in the form of like uh, derived data stores. So, so like, I think in the past two to three months, like Airbnb, LinkedIn, and I believe like one other uh, kind of like web scale company released blog posts on their derived data stores. Um, uh, they often kind of like describe, you know, how they are pushing uh, data from analytical systems into the, these uh, drive data stores to power applications like experimentation or machine learning and so on. Um, you know, as an investor, like when I start seeing like the web scale companies like release similar tools, like after, mm. after I see something like, you know, three, four times, it probably suggests that like that's something that you know could maybe will go mainstream uh, within the next couple of years. So things like Venice um, and Venice mm. from LinkedIn, Muscle from yeah. Airbnb, like the, 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 those are things I'm paying attention to too. That's cool. Yeah, I'm just gonna have Felix, uh, one of the uh, uh, engineers on Venice, on the show pretty soon. So yeah. it's gonna be a great chat. Yeah, it's gonna be a lot of fun. Awesome. So. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I hope that, the, you know, a lot of the um, um, kind of mainstream providers right now for analytics data, data warehouses, that the cost, what trips us up is we get a lot of requests for, um, you know, kind of either like uh, building, um, you know, an enriched data app or, um, you know, uh, embedded app, uh, analytics is a big one, right? But you look mm -hmm. at the cost profiles of these data warehouses, for example, and you're going to get eaten alive if you have uh, yep. thousands of concurrent queries. <laughs> like, like, you'll probably literally go out of business if you don't have... Uh, they're just know, not designed for that. Yeah, yeah, no. you really can like drive insane spending. And I, I think that is part of the problem here. I think what we have right now is a better version of what we've had since the 1980s, that we're all building mm -hmm. much better yep. versions of the mousetrap, right? Like much better MPPs, which are yep. awesome. But then the question is, okay, but what if we want to get beyond that MPP paradigm that we've had since the 80s? Yeah, yeah. It's funny. My colleague Natalie uh, often says that like, you know, Snowflake is just Oracle in the cloud. Um, and you know, there, 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 there's something to that.
Oh, <laughs> look at the roots of it. So yeah, yeah. and um, <laughs> yeah, should be exciting to see where things go. Um, yeah, cool. So uh, wrapping it up for um, people who want to learn more about you, how can they do that? Um, that's a good question. I, I, I tweet probably too much um, at uh, SarahCat21. Um, there's kind of more information, including my contact information available on our website too, which is just amplifypartners.com. Cool. Awesome. As always, a pleasure talking to you. So um, yeah, it's been a great show. Uh, I feel like we'll keep talking about uh, at the top of the hour. So and a lot of questions. And sorry we didn't get to any of the questions from the audience. Uh, I guess we're um, having so much oh. fun talking that we forgot all the questions. So. Sorry, I didn't even see <laughs> like, no, this is this a is great the, conversation. Yeah. This, yeah. The, this is the problem associated with, uh, with like, uh, browser extensions. I, like, didn't even see that there was a chat because I had a browser extension that was blocking it. So apologies. Oh, whoops. But, oh well. Right, next time. Yeah. <laughs> so, Maybe we need to have uh, another chat, like six months or something we can talk more <laughs> <laughs> AMA basically instead yeah yeah you're welcome back on the show anytime yeah. so um speaking of shows uh next week we have uh Serge from uh SQL DBM uh I guess we're gonna be talking about um SQL and data modeling uh super riveting topics and um then we're gonna take a break and I think it's what um uh, January 9th uh Chip Hoyan uh, is gonna be on the show so uh, we're going to talk about uh, productionizing and machine learning and um, whatever else is on our mind. So we got a very stacked roster for uh, uh, 2023. So I think we're booked out all the way to the end of uh, March, early April. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, uh, we'll see everybody next week. Sarah, I hope you have a, a great time, a great holiday. So thanks to the audience. Thank you. See you all soon. Me right. too. Have a good one. Thanks right. for having all me. Right. Thanks Bye. for joining. Bye.